Welcome, fellow traveler. You are now listening to the Tent Theology Podcast. Each week, we have a tent talk where we pursue the renewing of the Christian social and political imagination. Hello again. I've been getting a lot of emails from people asking for more resources. And in fact, I've been getting those emails almost right from the start when I started this little project. And I have some other people now writing as well. So it's probably worth spending a bit of time here. I'm going to write all this stuff up. I'll put it on my website as well. But I wanted to talk a little bit about where resources can come from. The first thing I'd want to say is there are a lot of people out there. You might not have come across these things because we live in little bubbles. And, and, and if you grow up in various conservative or evangelical or charismatic circles, you do tend to just read the same people over and over again and the same ideas swirl around. There are a lot of people out there saying and doing follower of Jesus type stuff. And I'm not making this up. <laughs> the kind of things that you're liking, if you're hearing what I'm saying and you like it or you've never heard it before and it's exciting your mind, well, I'm not making this up. I'm not the first person to be saying these things. So uh, there's a whole world out there. There's a whole wider conversation. And I'm just going to list a few people here, voices that I think are worth paying attention to or worth listening to. And also, for me personally, as a rule of thumb, I have taken out of my life any Christian voice that doesn't explicitly recognize and reject nationalism. And I know there's people out there who say, oh, no, you just need to sift through the mud to find the pearls. But you know what? There's a lot of mud, and those pearls can be found elsewhere as well. And so some of the people that I'm going to talk about here, they have all the pearls, all the wisdom, all the lively connection to the Holy Spirit, without also the prior allegiance to a false god of nationalism. The prior commitment to patriotism leads people into directions where they have to falsify or distort or ignore key pillars and passages of the New Testament and key aspects of the way of Jesus. And for me, it's just not worth doing the work to sift through the crap in order to find the one or two nuggets of gold. It's just not worth it. And I found my gold in some great places other than that. And yes, this does mean, effectively, not reading almost any American evangelical author. Not all American evangelicals, of course, of course. And you'll even see on my list, there's a lot of Americans on this list. This is not an anti-American diatribe at all. But what it's saying is, if we're honest, the groups of people who explicitly recognize the distorting effect of patriotism on their theology don't tend to include American evangelicals or charismatics or indeed classical evangelicals of any nationality. And this is a topic for another discussion of the close connection between Protestant evangelicalism and nationalism. But it goes back to the roots. It goes right back to the Protestant Reformation itself. And I think this would be something we have to discuss later. Well, in fact, it's described in one of the books I'm going to recommend to you by William Cavanaugh. The other thing I want to say about avoiding sources or being wary of sources as a rule of thumb is that there's a difference between intelligent people and educated people. 
this is not some kind of snobby elitist statement I'm making here, but a lot of the people that come out of the charismatic destiny image publishing type crowd or charisma news type crowd, they are self-published or they are published by imprints, publishing houses, which are essentially vanity presses. They, these are authors who are intelligent, they are kind, they are sincere, they are well-meaning, they have a lot of life wisdom, but they are not educated. Their ideas have not been tested against their peers. They haven't been forced to defend themselves and their opinions against the body of collected knowledge and wisdom that comes out of actual study of these actual texts in their original languages or compared to other points of view that are represented by the wide body of Christian thought, which has happened for the last 2,000 years. A lot of these popular presses and a lot of the popular, I call them popular Christian paperbacks as a shorthand, are often just written by people who they maybe run a church or they run a large network or they have a big platform and they write their thoughts down. But these are not thoughts that have stood any kind of test. They haven't been judged by well-meaning, educated people. And in terms of the Bible, just because somebody quotes the Bible a lot or talks about the Bible or can list lots of references or verses, that's not the same as being biblically educated. And you have to pay attention to how many times a lot of these authors and then the systems that they come up with, their you know, seven laws to spiritual success or 12 ways to conduct spiritual warfare or, you know, all those kind of systems that these especially charismatic authors are always coming up with where you have to buy a whole series of books. And they will have a lot of Bible verses attached to them. But frankly, this is a lot of castles built on sand because there's all there's no engagement with the original text in their original languages. There's no engagement in these books with biblical scholars who actually understand what's going on and who care about it. And instead, there's a, a high anti-intellectualism culture amongst our evangelical and charismatic circles, which thinks that anybody who studies the Bible as a scholar or any theologian who's actually educated and trained in theology is somehow putting out the Spirit's fire or somehow anti-life and anti-Christian. I haven't found this to be true in my experience of actually working as an academic and who's somebody who calls himself a charismatic. It is true, of course, that too much study can kill a thing. But I have to say, in my experience of trying to read these people's books and their self-published little articles or their vanity press systems, that no study at all doesn't even bring life in the first place. These are... They're just factually incorrect so many times. I mean, it's hard to even overemphasize how wrong people get basic facts all the time when you read their books. And, uh, and there's nobody in their circles to call them out on it. And if anybody does try and call them out on it from outside the stable, they're treated as being arrogant and proud and elitist, and they're dismissed. And I would like to just say... When was the last time you heard your favorite charismatic or evangelical popular preacher admit that he was wrong about something in the Bible? 
or that he is speaking outside of his knowledge base, or that he was swimming in waters that were too deep for him and he needed to get some expert help. When was the last time you ever heard anybody publicly admit that? Okay. Now, in my field of academic theology and biblical studies, I hear people admit this all the time. I have not experienced pride in the same <laughs> in the academic circles in the same way I experience it when I'm sitting in these large church auditoriums. The humility of the academic or scholarly community is a lot higher than you might expect. We're not all sitting around sniping and judging at each other. There is a genuine desire to learn. Quite often there's a genuine public confession of ignorance or of mistakes being made or of seeking help. And this is something that I think the academic scholarly community, who is Christian, by the way, or followers of Jesus, I mean, these are the ones whose voice needs to be heard and they need to be encouraged and told that they're not just laboring in the darkness. There's a genuine humility and intellectual curiosity that can go hand in hand. And if we can bring that back into our worshiping communities, it's going to be all the better for it. Okay, here's a, just a list of people. This is almost literally off the top of my head. I just scribbled down a whole lot of people whose voices I've been influenced by, whose books I really rate highly or who have changed my life. There's voices here who I follow on Facebook or social media. There's black people, white people. There's Canadians, Americans, Brits, Australians. There's men, there's women. There's academics. There's just uh, uh, good people who are producing good stuff. I'm just going to list them all and talk about them a bit. These are no particular order here. This is just a response to some of the questions I'm getting from people saying, where else can I go? Where else can I hear some of this stuff? And these are examples of people I think who are reading from below, who are aware that they are in places not of power and privilege, but are trying to find ways to follow Jesus without seeking to dominate over others. And, uh, uh, and there are people who sometimes are doing the groundwork for a lot of, some of these people I'm going to mention are the giants whose shoulders I'm standing on. I mentioned a while ago uh, a guy named Keith Giles. He's worth looking at his blogs, especially one called The Shiny Red Button, which is his discussion about the abortion issue. Keith Giles is an interesting voice. Another person to follow, I would say on, um, on Facebook or social media, is somebody named Chris Green. Chris is a Pentecostal scholar who's doing some really important and interesting work. On the, on the racism in the Pentecostal movement at the roots of it. And he's not sniping from the outside. He is doing this with deep humility and repentance from the inside. And his is a voice well worth listening to. Oshetta Moore is a pastor in Minneapolis. And she is somebody who's well worth following on social media. Or if you can find her, listen to her speaking or read her books. Her husband, T. Seymour, is uh, also a pastor in Minneapolis, and I, I, I follow them and I enjoy their voice. Nova Reed, she's someone, she's done a TEDx talk, and she also runs various programs and uh, on social media and elsewhere on educating people about racism. So Nova Reed, I recommend that you follow her. Pastor Agu Irku is a pastor in London who who does stuff on social media and out um, on public. He's a voice that's worth listening to. 
James Cone is a theologian, a black liberation theologian, uh, the cross and the lynching tree. In any case, James Cone, C-O-N-E, is so worth having a look at. He's a, 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 an absolute bedrock pillar for theology in this area. Richard Hayes is uh, a man who's, I have never, okay, <laughs> Uh, Richard Hayes, first of all, is a is a scholar. In he's an American scholar, a biblical scholar, and I once heard him in a debate with Nigel Bigger, who is a very poor theologian who uses his position as a professor of Christian moral reasoning to defend war and nationalism. And he was having a debate, a public debate, with Richard Hayes about can the New Testament be used to justify military war or Christian involvement in war. And I have never heard somebody more roundly defeated in a debate than I heard this man being defeated by Richard Hayes. And Richard Hayes absolutely wiped the floor with this man. And he did it in a gracious and calm and kind and Christ-like way. I seriously have never seen a better example of public disagreement which was successful and solid and Christ-like. Richard Hayes is brilliant. Uh, his book, The Moral Vision of the New Testament, is uh, an absolutely indispensable book for this kind of stuff. He's scholarly, so he's not writing at a popular level, but uh, no joke, buy that book. Even if it's 50 pounds or if it's $70, buy the book and engage with it. Richard Hayes. Uh, Richard Hayes, one of his colleagues, is Walter Brueggemann. Walter Brueggemann is essentially what Richard Hayes is to the New Testament, Walter Brueggemann is to the Old Testament. One of the kindest, wisest voices you're going to find talking about the Hebrew Scriptures. One of the kindest Christian voices you'll find talking about the Hebrew Scriptures. Walter Brueggemann, absolute pillar of this kind of material. And the fact that our conservative, evangelical, or charismatic friends don't know who Richard Hayes and Walter Brueggemann are is all you need to know about what's intellectually vacuous about most charismatic and evangelical circles. Moving on, uh, in no particular order, Richard Beck, B-E-C-K. He runs an experimental theology blog spot. Who He's, again, just such a, a kind man. He's become a friend and I can vouch for him as a kind person and a wonderful Christian. But before I ever met him, I was influenced by his books, especially one called The Slavery to Death, which is about the powers and principalities and how they relate to modern day institutions. And we will be talking about powers and principalities in a future episode. But Richard Beck, seek out his voice, seek out his words if you can. Lucy Pepiat. She's the principal of Westminster Theological Centre. She's committed to peace. She's a, a, a New Testament scholar. She is a, a systematic theologian who could talk to you for hours about the beauty of the Trinity and then lead everyone in a worship session, including healing and words of knowledge. And she has also written some wonderful books on Paul and on the women in Paul's treatment of women. I recommend Lucy Pepiat. Tim Gombis, G-O-M-B-I-S. Gombis, um, he's, he's a, a New Testament scholar in the States. Start to follow him on Facebook. Listen to his voice. 
He's doing stuff. He's coming from out of the evangelical circles, but he is a man who has recognized and rejected the nationalism and patriotism. And he is biblically educated and articulate to a degree that you would rarely find. And he's worth listening to. Lisa Coons, she runs the 24-7 in America. Follow her voice. Listen to her. African-American lady. In fact, all the 24-7 movement I've been very impressed with. They are spiritually open. They are Holy Spirit, passionate. They are charismatic. And they peace and justice is not an adjunct to their work. It's central to it. So with that in mind, also pay attention to Aaron White. Aaron is a Canadian uh, he runs 24-7 in Canada. Again, just you probably will never find somebody more literate, more widely read, more generous in his approach to things. And yet he is a rock solid, spiritually aware person. Pete Gregg, who started the 24-7 movement, Pete Gregg's books, G-R-E-I-G, follow Gregg. I mean, one of his books, Dirty Glory, a fantastic book, life-changing in lots of ways. Many of you will be familiar with Brian Zand, Z-A-H-N-D. Brian Zand is a pastor, and he basically split his church when he realized that being a patriot warmonger wasn't something he could do as a charismatic evangelical. And he started a new path. Brian Zand is a wonderful voice, and his books are well worth listening to. Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God is a fantastic book. But again, so many things he says and does are worth looking at. And again, a really kind and lovely person as well. Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, famous scholar and Bible translator of the New Testament, famous Pauline scholar. Tom Wright is someone who is able to, to um, speak the evangelical language and yet who has a, an awareness of the political aspect of the New Testament as well and its implications. Staying with the scholarship, I cannot recommend William Kavanaugh highly enough. William Kavanaugh, C-A-V-A-N-A-U-G-H. Kavanaugh is a Roman Catholic scholar working in America. Kavanaugh's books, especially one called Migrations of the Holy, which is a collection of essays that he's written. You can find him online as well. But Migrations of the Holy will explain and describe in intellectually robust ways the development of the rise of the nation state as becoming the new source and home of sacredness and holiness, especially for Christians. And he helps to describe how the Protestant Reformation helped this process as well. Although, of course, it's not confined to Protestants. But Migrations of the Holy is a fantastic book. And he's also written other books. But William Kavanaugh is a voice I would look to if you're interested in how patriotism and theology, and also the deep theology of the Eucharist, how that stands against so much nationalism. William Kavanaugh's mentor is someone named Stanley Hauervas. Stanley Hauervas, H-A-U-E-R-W-A-S. One of the most influential, he's a Texan theologian, one of the most influential voices in this whole area. You need to read Stanley Hauervas. Stanley Harvass, I'm looking at some of his books right now. Uh, one called War and the American Difference might be a very good place to start. It is from Harvass that we get the idea that the church is an alternative political union and an alternative political imagination, not a separation from the politics of this age, 
but a new and different and alternative way of doing politics. If you're feeling brave and up to it, engage with David Bentley Hart. Hart is an orthodox, an American man, but an orthodox scholar. And he uh, has roundly recognized and condemned the Americanization of theology. And he's also highly aware of the problems and the pickles that charismatics and evangelicals get into because of their lack of engagement with the source texts. I recommend David Bentley Hart. If you want to see what it's like to be a full-on charismatic, signs and wonders, healing and words of knowledge, and also not a political moron, then please do check out my friend Bob Ekblad, E-K-B-L-A-D. Bob and his wife Gracie have such, I mean, what a good name. she They're the most graceful couple you're ever going to meet. They have such an amazing ministry, teaching and traveling around the world. Check out the YouTube documentary, Liberating Fire, for more of Bob and Gracie. And then go and read his books and look at the stuff he does. Genuine New Testament scholarship, genuine spirit-filled life, and genuine political engagement in ways that break all the normal bounds and bonds imposed on us by our tribalism of Christendom. Shane Claiborne is a famous American activist and author who's doing the stuff and living the life, and he's worth looking out for. Jonathan Martin is a podcaster and a preacher in the South, the American South. His podcasts are well worth seeking out, and as well as his voice on social media. The Nomad podcast has a whole lot of information and voices that you don't normally get to hear, represents a whole range of different ways of thinking Christianly about things and agreeing and disagreeing Christianly. The Nomad podcast, a UK-based podcast, but includes voices from all over the world, including mine, if you want to hear me talk more about nationalism and violence on the Nomad podcast. Azariah France Williams is a friend of mine. He's uh, just about to write a book about racism, his experience of, of the Anglican Church, and of ingrained racism in the, in the systems of the Anglican Church. Azariah France Williams is a, also a voice that you can hear on podcasts and various times. He's a storyteller, and he's a writer, and he's a priest working right now up in Manchester in the UK. Andrew Clager is a scholar and also the director of the Institute for Religion, Peace, and Justice. And if you're interested in doing a master's degree, well then do look out for the Institute for Religion, Peace, and Justice. Andrew is coming out of, or came out of an Anabaptist Mennonite peace tradition, but he's now moved into the Orthodox Church, but he's kept a lot of the same uh, desires and issues, and he's able to speak into that from an Orthodox point of view. Justin Bronson Berenger, B-A-R-R-I-N-G-R, has edited a book called A Faith Not Worth Fighting For, Addressing Commonly Asked Questions About Christian Nonviolence. I've been immensely helped by Berenger's essays on um, anarchism, Christian anarchism, and the peace movements. He's a politically sophisticated writer who has a real sense of the alternative politics of Christianity especially in the New Testament, but his book, A Faith Not Worth Fighting For, the book he's edited, draws together lots of different voices 
who are all addressing these commonly opposed questions when it comes to Christians and their political stance towards the state and violence. And I'm sure I'll be referring to this in future times, but do check out that book. The musician and writer and sometimes co-host of the Nomad podcast, David Benjamin Blower, a few years ago, he published a book on Jonah, a very slim little volume, which was a political theology reflection slash Bible study on the book of Jonah. And I'm not joking, this is one of the best theology books I've ever read. Blower is not a, an academic theologian, he's an educated theologian. He's not a professional academic, but he has written a book with insight and beauty, which I recommend to everybody, unreservedly. And also he writes songs and produces his own music um, around these issues. He's informed politically by Christianity, and we need to have more voices heard like his. Likewise, check out the novelist Marilyn Robinson. Check out her novels. Gilead and others, and also find her essays that she's written. I don't think you'll find anybody who's smarter and wiser and more deeply Christian than Marilyn Robinson, an American woman who's writing right now, always worth looking out for. And she's not writing from within the little bubble of self-approved patriotic evangelicalism. The Californian pastor and activist and author David Moore now, there's more than one David Moore who's a pastor in California, and if you Google it, you'll find out which one I'm not talking about. The one I am talking about is the man who wrote Making America Great Again, fairy tale, horror story, dream come true. This, David N. Moore, is well worth listening to, and his is a voice that I'm just starting to get to know. And I was introduced to it through... Uh, an interview with Brad Jerzak. Brad spoke to David Moore on an online YouTube interview, which is well worth looking up. And Brad Jerzak is a voice that I think I just would recommend everybody to read his books and to try and listen to him. Listen to him on podcasts with Jonathan Martin. Listen to him on his podcasts with The Nomad. And look at his books, The More Christ-Like God and A More Christ-Like Way. All of Brad's books are good, but I really recommend those two, especially for anyone interested in this kind of stuff. His background checks all the boxes for the charismatic worship leader, and yet he is not singing from those same hymn sheets that we're so used to. He's biblically educated. He's theologically rich. He's historically rooted. He has connections to ancient spirituality practices. He's politically interesting and engaging He's a really kind person. <laughs> and he's in some ways, if you are somebody who enjoys, for example, Bill Johnson, I was reading Bill Johnson's book, God is Good. He's better than you think. And I was reading that at the same time as I was reading Brad Jerzak's A More Christ-Like God. And in the end, I just stopped reading Johnson's book because Brad was saying everything that Johnson was trying to say, and he was saying it in a way that was truer, better, more grounded, more well-written, more contextual, and more biblically sound and philosophically robust, and which recognized the political implications of its own foundations. 
And Jerzak is leading people into a more Christ-like way, and he knows what that means, and he understands what that looks like. And so his is the last book that I want to recommend on this particular podcast. These lists are not exhaustive, (laughs) and there is a lot more going on in this world. But these might be some people, if you start to look at these people and then look at the other names and voices that they listen to and watch and are influenced by, you'll begin to populate a new library for yourself, a new network of voices and information and people, scholarly, academic, practical, political, popular, creative, worshipful, spirit-led, None of these people are nationalists. None of them are beholden to the partisan ideology wars. None of them have an imagination that's been colonized and captured by patriotism. So you would go a lot less wrong less often if you started listening to some of these voices and people like them. So in answer to some of your questions, these would be my suggestions for equipping people as they become followers of the way. Well, I am joined as always by my good friends, Chris Marchand and Sean McCoy. And as listeners to this podcast will remember, the reason I first reached out to Chris and Sean was because they are individually hosts of podcasts that I enjoy myself and in fact I'd been on those podcasts and as a result of being on them and listening to them I when I wanted to make tent theology I thought I'd like to partner with these guys I like the space they're creating I like what they're doing I like the resources they are producing so what better way following a little episode talking about resources that I recommend what better way to follow that up than talking to Chris about his post-Consumer Reports podcast and talking to Sean about Come to the Table. Uh, and also the other things. I mean, Chris, he's a, he's a writer. He writes books. We can recommend those. Sean, he's a, an expert in drawing out good conversation with lots of different people and as well as within the industry that he works in. I really want to pick your brains, guys, and find out what's going on there. Chris, why don't you start, tell us about post-Consumer Reports and also how does this work how do you juggle being an author as well as being a podcast producer? <laughs> you know, that, that's, a, that's a good question. In, in some ways, I, I, I would start back where my blog and pon- podcast kind of originated, which was uh, there's, this, um, there's this artist that I like. Uh, he's a church musician, Fernando Ortega. He's, uh, you know, he's one of my favorites, and he writes a lot of music for churches, but also he does a lot of hymn, hymn adaptations. Mm-hmm. And uh, at, at one point, I I formulated uh, a, a series of questions that I put up on one of his blog posts. And uh, he actually responded to it on his own website. And so that created this spark in me that... So you're a celebrity oh, crush. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he was, yeah, he was a celebrity, a Christian culture celebrity crush. That's okay. absolutely what it was. And uh, I was astounded that he responded to my, these random questions I put up on his blog post. And that just got me thinking like, oh, maybe yeah. I can do this. Maybe okay. I can start asking people questions and they would respond. Um, and it's funny because, you know, one, one of the guys that I'm going to talk about 
uh, today in some of the things that we're discussing is uh, basically my favorite living musician, which is Sufjan Stevens. Oh, yeah. Sufjan Stevens, definitely. Go on, talk to, talk, talk to me about Sufjan. Should we just make this a Sufjan Stevens podcast? Sorry, Sean, Sufjan now. <laughs> Go on, Chris. Okay. Well, see, I'll, I'll get there in a minute. But uh, I used to have this uh, series on my blog where I would just leave Sufjan questions. My, my blog post would just be questions for Sufjan. <laughs> and uh, and, and I, I had this thing in my mind where I, like, I interview Sufjan for like several hundred hours. Okay. Like, it's just the world's longest interview. And uh, But I, I, so far, I've, I've only tried once to interview him, and I've gotten rejected. So, Well, if there's anybody out there in Tent Theology land who can get us an interview with <laughs> Sufjan Stevens, Chris Marchand would be... In seventh heaven. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So I'll, I'll discuss. I'll entice people. But Chris, I mean, uh, Sean, I definitely want to get to you, but I'm afraid Sufjan has now hijacked this conversation. Chris, I mean, Sufjan came out with his America on the 4th of July. He came out with a new song, an epic song. What did you yeah. think about that? That was like his, his, uh, it's so relevant to what we're talking about. It was all about his kind of uh, loss of faith yeah. in the American dream. Yeah. So, uh, I'll back up a little bit, which is the first thing that I knew about Sufjan was he, here was this guy who was creating an album about my state, Illinois. That's right. Yeah. And so that's the only reason I listened to him. I was like, what? Somebody made a whole album about where I live. Oh, I, I have to buy that. Yeah. And so in the midst of listening to Sufjan, I mean, I just, I love that album. I love that the Illinois album so much. What I've come to realize is, Sufyan is here to give us beauty and to, to pour out all kinds of beautiful, beautiful imagery and songs, but he, he doesn't make anything easy. Right, right. And so this America song, I was really intrigued. I was like, what are we going to get? And I, and I actually, I, I hate to call it, but I, in this way, Sufyan was predictable. It's, it's not a finger pointing song to America where he's just blaming everybody. no. Instead, instead, what he does is he says he kind of places us right us all right in the middle and goes, look, look at how we're all responsible. Okay. Look at how we're all caught up in this mess. Yeah. And um, so what I like about this song, America, is he he has all this imagery about uh, Noah and the flood okay. and also uh, like Jesus and, and Judas. And there's so many layers to it that I haven't quite parsed my all the way through it, but. Yeah, I, the way that I read the song is he has given up his belief in the, the American dream. and It's a um, loss of faith kind of song. But it it's, is a loss it's of not, faith. not loss of faith in the God of Jesus. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think it is. Yeah. And, and instead, yeah, it's about his loss of faith in America. And he has, this, he has this very, very intriguing line, which I think he's saying it to God. Yeah. Don't do to me what you did to America. I know, right? And, uh, and I'm like going, oh, no, what, what has God done? Like, what, or, or what's God going to do to America? You know, like I'm sitting here, please, please not too much, God. You know, like, <laughs> I think you have to be God. an extraordinary person to look at um, America right now and go, you know what? It's going well. Everything's great. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You don't have to be hate-filled to think, oh, I think we've seen better days in this country. <laughs> Sean, what, for, for Come to the Table, what would your, uh, tell us about Come to the Table, but also tell us who would your dream interview be? Who would your 
resource that if you you could recommend to anybody, if you could be a platform for anything, what would it be? Well, I think before we do that, I do have to to say a little bit about what we just oh. talked about because it's, it's, it's if you want to make it part of it. Because Chris shared that song with me, and I oh, listened really? to it. And okay, I, took that I didn't know that. Yeah, so I took that because I I found his his music extremely uh, intriguing. A lot of it I called it like an anthem because he does this. He goes against the norm normative two and a half to three minute song. I think America's like what eight yeah, and a half right. nine minutes. And like, I remember listening to it, like, no, I need to, I committed, he, he's an artist. He put it out there. I need to listen to the whole thing. And even the back end, it's not lyrically driven. It's all acoustical. So it's kind of this journey, yeah. almost making you stay in the moment. And I took that lyric because, because Chris and I talked about, it, I took that lyric to not at, not at God, but like at the people, like what we've done to kind of, and, and I, I may get some heat from this, but I'll say it, how we kind of bastardized what it means to be an American, how we've kind of, what, don't do to me what you did to America. Like okay. you know, I mean, as a singer, somebody in the public role i took it as his lyrics ah. saying, don't twist me don't build me up don't don't turn me into this person right. this thing just to knock me down or just to manipulate me or just to take advantage yeah. of me so so i and i and i think he does do a great job of of really being um kind of in that in that tension that chris talked about a little bit ago just in terms of uh, you know he's not blaming totally like he's not finger pointing and separate he's it's kind of a collective we so so i do want to say that it, it is great it's it's a, it's a great uh, uh chance to kind of lament around the song and using that song to kind of motivate you yeah, yeah. So, i mean yeah, it, but, but as far as my as far as, but it reminds me of i'm going through a wendell berry kick right now i don't know if you've ever read any wendell berry so he's a kentucky farmer who's also a writer just brilliant i mean seriously like what one of the best writers one of the most wisest human beings I've ever read. And he's deeply Christ focused and he's deeply local and he believes in um, caring for his farm. <laughs> That's all he cares about, you know, and cares about the land and he cares about politics, but how it relates to agriculture and the, and the land. But to read him is so interesting because he's, it's a bit like that kind of Sufyan thing you just described, Sean, where he's deeply angry and upset and he sees with clarity real moral clarity that there's huge problems and yet when you read him it's not all shouting and angry and hate-filled like he's able to hold like this total awareness of essentially an utter failure of his society to do anything good and yet the writing itself is not hopeless it's not without goodness it's not without practical steps and suggestions of how to be in this world so i don't know i'm just maybe i should listen to sufyan's america while reading wendell berry and have a full-on american <laughs> conversion <laughs> there, you go. there is a, there's a really good uh, wendell berry documentary i can't remember the name of it have you seen this Stephen? no it's very interesting uh it kind of documents some of his writings and in, yeah. in just in relation to his region yeah uh, in kentucky and yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah it's a fascinating documentary it's partially biography but it's also partial just this meditation on what what he wants us to meditate on yeah. you know about about our responsibility to our world and to the people around us sure sure it's a real quick look and see is the name of that documentary i just I, so just so, so that people know so those are those are some resources that are feeding our hearts and minds sean i'm gonna get i'm not gonna let you get away what resource if you had a chance to on your podcast you could promote some resource what would you 
who would you want to talk about or talk with? So a little bit about the podcast. I mean, I will tell you, I've been fortunate to have both of you on my podcast. And I don't know if you've ever said, but when you reached out to me, you didn't realize that Chris and I had connected no. before. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of this neat little yeah. triangle. And yeah, so I said to you, Sean, have you really heard good. of Chris Marchand? And you said, actually, he's been yeah. on my show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, because he had the, he had his book, his uh, the book at the time about the 13 days of Christmas. And that, it was right around Christmas. And it was just, a, for me, it was one of these things where it's kind of in a resource standpoint of, uh, you know, part of that imagination re- being redefined is you have to have other input. You have to have other things that kind of, till, you know, stir up the soil, stir up the garden yeah. a little bit to kind of see what else is out there. And um, in terms of people on my podcast or who I would love to have, I'm kind of in a funny moment right now at this, at this, at this day, at this current day, um, I'm getting ready to hit my hundredth conversation uh, in terms of people that I've, I've talked mm. to and it's so many of those conversations and so many of those people. And then the things that led me like nomad podcast to you, the mixed mental arts podcast, I just mentioned in reading the books and reading the, uh, all the associated uh, information around those things in terms of how they input, whether it's, from uh, what we would call a secular uh, source or even a, a source within mm-hmm. the, you know, quote unquote Christian world, which I'm not, I'm not sure what that means anymore because it's even that segmented. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, my whole purpose around, around starting mine really was just part of it was I wanted to kind of throw a flag out there to the world in the future to say, not everyone is, is shouting from the rooftops right. and, and, yeah. just, and just like, throwing up what they think like there's a there's a value to listen to somebody else and if you've and if you've actually if you actually sat down with somebody who's homosexual have you ever actually had a conversation with somebody who's transgender or a democrat or somebody from you know from a different right. country or a different culture right. and have you truly truly ever done that and then the hope was can i sit down and do that with somebody and imbi- and kind of kind of show that that's actually happening as well real time so i look at like a history buff that i am you kind of think what were the common people thinking in terms of, you know, about slavery in 18, in, you know, in 1836 or, right. you know, 1840 in the United States, what were they thinking about the Jim Crow uh, laws in the 1880s and 1890s and early 19, like, besides what we think we know, was, was everybody thinking that and was, was there nobody, there wasn't a single right. person who looked over and kind of went, Hey, this whole, like, yeah. you know, white supremacy clan, yeah. you know, birth of a nation, love and all the rest of this stuff is, I mean, is that right. really, you know, and especially from a faith standpoint, like how do you read the gospel? How do you, how do you sit there and look at this kind of stuff? And even have a basic cursory understanding of, of history and not have some sort of, right? And so my hope is to kind of give that opportunity to the to the future right. as well as the present to say, to be yeah. a resource and to kind of double down yeah. on that, uh, of an inspiration to say, hey, if you can learn something from me having a conversation, you should go have one. But but right now, I mean, really, I mean, podcasts have become such an obsession for me because it's such a, I think it's such an unadulterated and unhindered source of knowledge mm-hmm. and wisdom because- our modern media, not to coin the fruit, not to get all excited about um, what President Trump says, but he has a real point and nobody can call him on it. And he's used it to his advantage when he's yelling or when he's sitting around yelling fake, fake news. Because we've all, I think we've had generations starting, I think the real crack in the ice, with Nixon and the whole uh, uh, Watergate and all the rest of that stuff and kind of seeing, wait a minute, that the president isn't this hero. The president isn't this perfect person where, where there's actually things going on behind the scenes that are nefarious um, people are covering this up. What else are they covering? I think it just, and that with the Vietnam War, starting, started a little bit with Korea. I think we were riding a high after World War II. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's been decades of us un, undoing mm-hmm. that, you know, pulling the, the, the veil back. And that, and that ultimately, we're now not sure what to believe because mm-hmm. you you have no idea what their incentive is. Why are they doing that? 
And they're not even wanting to inform anymore. Everybody just wants to influence. And then there's a commercial side of that. And there's a power side of that. And so, so for me, podcasts, um, still books, I mean, still listening to somebody else. And then, and then going even further, like what, Sufjan Stevens has to have a story as to what got him. Like, why, why isn't he going conventional? What is it? Why is he doing it the way that he's doing? I think what Chris is, what I do, you ultimately want to know what's driving that person if you're interested in them. And you were one of them, Stephen. I mean, I listened to you on Nomad and you may remember how I contacted you as a Facebook mm-hmm. post and you commented on somebody's, I think it was on something that Tim or, or David or something like that had had from Nomad. And I kind of, I, I kind of was like, Hey, are oh, you yeah, the same? And I knew you yeah. were, yeah. I, I knew you were. And I was like, are you the same Stephen Backhouse from yeah. the Nomad? And you're like, yep. And I kind of messaged like, Hey, love to have you on my podcast. And you're like, sure. So, so that, because you forget, you know, we, we're used to the, the super celebrities you can't ever touch, right? And so I've had like you, Alexander Shia was another one coming from Nomad um, that, that was one of those, like, I hope I can get them to come on. Uh, Richard Beck's another one, people like that. Just cause it, and it's not even because they're, they're, it wasn't even because you were a theologian or, or kind of important in that world. It was more like what I heard said. I wanted to know more about that yeah. person and to kind of go down that route, that road with them for sure. Uh, also i think it's very funny that you use the word celebrity when you're talking there are no theological celebrities that's for sure (laughs) well but that but but see on the out here in the u.s i mean you have your vertex that's true uh, there are some theological and you have uh, my buddy down the street joel olstein who you you know you i've seen him around in town i've seen him at ball games and stuff he's about five feet tall yeah and it's hard to, and it's, and what even makes him a celebrity is it's hard. Like if you really wanted to talk to him, you can't really get to him. There are these, they're up there All on right. the hill. Like you can't, yeah. even if, even, whether you're a supporter or you want to ask what they're, even if you're not somebody who is, they're kind of in this other world because there's so much money and power and influence attached You're to a them. comic book fan, aren't you, Sean? Are you a comic book? Yes. Do you know who Brian Michael Bendis is? Bendis. So, mm-hmm. so that, now everybody else may think I'm lying because I said that, because I said I don't so know. So Bendis, <laughs> B-E-N-D-I-S. He is a brilliant uh, writer. He he took over Spider-Man back in the day and he rejuvenated. So a lot of the Spider-Man films that we've seen, a lot of them were kind of based on his storylines that he wrote. And um, he was discussing, so I'm a comic book fan. It's one of the guys I, I like to support this kind of stuff. But I was reading an interview with him and he said, celebrity is such a funny thing because we live in such silos, such isolated bubbles that he had been at Comic-Con in San Diego, is it in San Diego or some Comic Con San Diego? Yeah. So he was at Comic Con, and he said, like, I was literally on a stage, and like twenty thousand people are cheering my name. Right? They're shouting Bendis, Bendis. And then the very next day, he went to uh, uh, his wife's work, like a work party, and you know, and you're standing around holding a plastic cup of wine over the cheesy nibbles, and you're having awkward conversation, and somebody says, "So, what do you do?" And he says, "Oh, I write comic books." And they went, oh, like Superman? Oh, I used to read that when I was a kid. And she had no idea who he was. And he's like, celebrity is so weird that (laughs) I can be an absolute star in one venue. And the very next day, I'm embarrassed to say what I do. (laughs) So so even Joel Austin, I'm sure, maybe in our circles, people know who he is. But I bet you he's not not exactly a household name, is he? Also, well, I would just like to say oh he's not God. a theologian. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Where, where do you get some emails on that one? <laughs> uh, who have you? Uh, who who would you like to interview most if you could, Sean? 
Like like right now, and who could? I, uh, that's a great question. I would say, let me think about this. You never know who's listening. <laughs> I know. This is a tough one. Um, I don't think I'm gonna be able. To, whatever I say is gonna be wrong right now because I just can't think of. It. Go small. If I could, well, you know, to be honest with you, I mean, if I would yeah. like anyone, I mean, yeah. truly, I would love to know. I would love to interview President Trump. <laughs> 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 yeah, that'll happen. He's a he's a real fan. <laughs> I mean, I would. I mean, but I felt that way even before we started this podcast because I I really like when I, for whatever reason I think you both you know I've I've gotten this a lot from when I do podcasts. Like I even had one lady, Deanne Goodman, on my show who was a broadcast journalist for many years, and she was like, "Hey, you have a really you have a you have a knack. Like I I will pull stuff out of people. I will. I mean, people a lot of people cry. Yeah. Somebody told me that I was like Roy Firestone in that way, like the way that." Because I can connect with people pretty easily, and I'm not yeah. trying to be—it's not a humble brag, but just—I mean—ask the people that have. And so I really want, like, I want to know, like, it, like, put aside all the, put aside all the fake news and all the Twitter rants and all the, yeah. you know, all the pomp and circumstance. Like, what is going on? And can I get in there? And can I, can I, can I pull yeah. out? Not, not, not to expose him for what he's not. Like, I'm not interested in like tearing the man yeah. down. I don't. I really don't value that for anybody. Like, what is driving you? What do you think about this? When you see this happen, what does it make yeah. you think of? I don't, I don't know. Like, and, and like, hear what he's, I don't know. I would really love to interview. Sean, I really respect that. You, you know, I, I wanted to just mock you. I just wanted to just not, not tear you down, but just laugh at you. <laughs> I did laugh. Uh, but I, you know what? I'm, you, you've convinced me. I think you could do it. I think you could figure something out. I think you should, you should I want to hear about his childhood. That's what I want to hear about. Uh, I read his book. I read his book, "The Art of the Deal," many years ago, and he didn't write that though. But that's okay. It's it's arguable. That's, it's that's why it's possible he didn't even read it. To be honest, he he didn't write it. Um, no, I'm not I even. I know that's a silly joke, but it's it actually might be true. Uh, no, it's, the, no, I, um, no, I know that what you were saying reminded me of this. There's a book I picked up um, by a guy named Joshua Green, and it, unfortunately, it has the title "The Devil's Bargain," which makes it sound much more kind of polemical. It's called Steve Bannon, Donald Trump, and the Storming of the Presidency by Joshua Green. And it's to me, it looks like a book where the publishers decided to name it something quite salacious in order to get some, uh, because of the sort of world we live in, those, that's what sells books. But if you actually read it, it's much more interesting. It's not just a kind of an angry polemic against Donald Trump. In fact, it's the only book I've ever read in which he, 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 it's kind of it's quite respectful. Like it's the only critical book of Donald Trump I've ever read, which actually gives you a sense of his positive qualities of of the kind of person that he is. It's not a mocking book. It's not an angry book. It's not even an angry book about Steve Bannon, who was the who was the architect of the uh, uh, MAGA campaign, and he was also the architect of Donald Trump's presidency going up. And then he he fell out with Trump, as most people tend to do, and he got fired. But he didn't get fired because of his white nationalist tendencies. In fact, uh, Donald Trump continues to use a lot of the tricks and tips that he got from Steve Bannon. Um, but uh, it's a, such a good book, and it's done in such an interesting way because, like I said, it's not a character assassination. It's a character study. And there's a lot to not to respect and admire because I don't actually think these two are admirable men. But it is... Uh, it is an account of them which is human and makes sense. And you can see where they're coming from and you can see why they're good at what they do. 
And uh, anyway, when you were talking, it kind of reminded me of Devil's Bargain by Joshua Green, which I, I recommend to anybody who's interested in, like, how did these kind of national nationalist ideas become so integral to the to the current movement? So anyway, there you go. And it's not as mean or nasty as it might sound, even though it's called the Devil's Bargain. Any other uh, fun stuff that you've ever uh, that you guys want to reflect on or that you want to recommend to our listeners? Well, you know, uh, this summer I I, uh, I teach at a, an online uh, Christian school called Scole Scole Academy. I guess that's a, a free plug for Scole Academy, uh, and which is and by the way, it's a good time to be teaching online yeah. uh, to do online education. It's classical uh, Christian. That's right. It's a classical Christian academy, and they you know they even have a, a publishing house, and and so my two book clubs were C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy and then British mystery novels. Okay, you know just some fun stuff, and these are books that I like to read, and so that's kind of why I did them. Uh, what I wanted to reflect on is uh, there's there is these interesting uh, communities that are brought forth in these books, and so in the third book of Lewis's Space Trilogy, he sets up these dualisms of this utterly corrupt community and then what a healthy organic community can look like. And, and so I I like that. I like that, that, uh, what he's portraying. I mean, again, like we could, we could maybe critique Lewis and go, wow, that's a pretty heavy, heavy dude. Like there's like, there's like almost no goodness in the corrupt community. Um, but nonetheless, I think he's just trying to put, he's trying to paint this picture. Brilliant. You're talking about the hideous strength, aren't you? That hideous strength. You know, yeah, the, uh, the politics. That's such an interesting political novel because it's all about organizations. It is. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah that's well, it, well, Lewis was obsessed with this concept of the inner circle yeah. and how we as people, like in our pride and our vanity, we always want to be yeah. like, in the inner circle. Yeah. And instead, what he paints is actually, you know what? It's about friends gathered around a fire. Right. Enjoying food, enjoying conversation, enjoying yeah. being in each other's presences. Yeah. Uh, and, and so there's a beauty to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other novel is Dorothy L. Sayers, uh, her novel, The Nine Tailors. Okay. And uh, that novel is about a lot of things. But one of the little details is it's about this little church community. Uh, and towards the end of the book, there is a, a massive flood. And I was just so surprised with where she went with it because what happened was is the the Anglican minister. Uh, this is my plug for Anglicanism, by the way. Uh, <laughs> the Church of England, the C of E. Um, but you know, Dorothy L. Sayers, her dad was a was a rector and a, and a minister. Yeah. So I, I'm curious. I'm, I would love to go back and talk to her about this. But what what happens is is in the midst of this flood, the parish, uh, as we've talked about yeah. before. And another episode, the parish just mobilizes okay. and they, they go into action and they help everybody. Like everybody gets helped yeah. and they stay in the church and they even put on plays yeah. and they have food. And it's just this beautiful little, it's local, right? It's not huge. It's not yeah. massive, yeah. but it's local. Yeah. And it, it's just beautiful. It's, it's a politics is what it is. Wow. It's an argument for how community can work. Wendell so, Berry yeah. would approve, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are the things that I've, I've just... Yeah, they've really inspired me. They've gotten me thinking. This is what I love about art. You know, like it's not it, these weren't diatribes. These weren't sermons. It was the story itself that gave it to me. Yeah, right. So in the, in that vein, so I don't know if I told either one of you, but I actually so I'm organizing. I love music, and I think it's kind of the antithesis of. I mean, I can talk and love to read, and books are long, and podcasts can be long, but but music 
has this amazing ability, even if, like we were talking about earlier, like eight to nine minutes for Sufyan was Epic. like an yeah. eternity, but, but you can get so much done in a short period of time. And I actually, I created, and this is in the announcement, I don't think I told you guys, but there's a, there's a 10th Theology podcast playlist on Spotify what? that I created. So, yeah, so here it is, right? And you'll notice, I don't know if, I don't know if you can see that, Chris, but the first person on there is Sufyan. Okay, so we'll put America. the link. Can we put the That's link the in, the, uh, in the description? So if you, yeah, we can, we will. Yeah. And so, and I, so then I added, this is America. And then the one I wanted to talk about um, from Charles oh. Gambino. And then I put our buddy, Dave, our buddy, I put two albums from David Blower. So a friend yeah. of Stephen of mine, uh, who's been on my pod, who a guy that I really admire as an artist and uh, apocalyptic Christian folk. If you haven't heard of him, David Benjamin Blower is amazing. But the one that I added on there that you may not know is a guy named Heath McNeese. And, and it's his uh, current album, Be Clean Again. And it's one, very rarely am I able to listen to an entire album and like like every song. David has his albums are like that, and and Heath McNeese's are, and they're so to me riveting and challenging. Like this is America by uh, Childish Gambino is is rivet like the yeah. video especially, and it's like and even even Sufjan's it's it's challenging me as a person in a short yes. period of time using a different register around song, which really can get it, it does something. The harmony does something to me at least, and I think to a lot of people that just awakens and gets you thinking critically about what they're saying, right? It's kind of a starting point to get yeah. you down that road. So as much as I love books and podcasts and talking to people, there's something around music when an artist can really create something. And even to Chris's point, like even a stationary piece of art, like a painting or a sculpture, if you can, you know, if you can, like you think of like the thinker from Rodin, from Rodin, mm-hmm. or Rodin, pardon my, got it wrong. You're but, right the first time. You're know, like, this what? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm always going to get panicked. I'm like, I said it wrong. And somebody's like, oh, he's an idiot. Um, you know, it's, and you know how it is between us and the, and, and our, our friends and across the pond. But, um, so, so it just in a, in a context of just, you can get so much from just that, that motion of just that, that sculpture of somebody's in there thinking and what that world creates for you. So, so for me, from a resource standpoint, and then, and then breaking into different music and not just letting it be something that tickles your brain and tickles your ear, but what are the lyrics saying? What are they representing? And how is it challenging you as a person? Because mm. music can, I mean, does and can have a massive impact on the world, I think. I love that you mentioned Childish Gambino. So Donald Glover, uh, I, I actually mm-hmm. quoted him. He's a, he's a fan of Kierkegaard. And then when I wrote that biography of Kierkegaard, I actually put some Donald Glover quotes in there uh, as an example. And I would think Donald Glover is one of my dream guests. I'd love to sit down with that guy. He's, yeah. He is just doing some wise, just- funny, weird stuff. Yeah, really good guy. Well, just that, that video, if you no, guys have so seen powerful. the video for This yeah. is America, when I saw it, like I had yeah. to keep watching it because there were so many, so many aspects to what yeah. he, the entire storyline and the yeah. video, how it tied in with the lyrics and everything that was going on and what it was saying. Like, you, unless, to me, unless you're just not, you just have like, unless your goalies are up, like we were talking about, like, I mean, like super goalies, you know, like, you know, Patrick Waugh kind of goalie. Like, it's just I love not, that you know who Patrick Waugh is. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah. mate, this is brilliant. I'm discovering new things about you. I was a Montreal Canadiens fan for a long time. That's that's my team for a long time. I was a Red Wings fan in the 90s. I know exactly. I saw the Red Wings <laughs> against play uh, against the Canadians in, in Montreal. That was fun. <laughs> but now I must hastily yeah. add, I'm also a Calgary Flames fan. That was my main team. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jerome Aguilina. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's the big knock against him was he never won a cup, but he's like one of the best all around players in the history of the game. And meanwhile, and Chris has now gone knocked unconscious. There's no hockey in Illinois. I have no idea what's happening. Yeah. What is going on? No, there's, there's hockey in Illinois. Come on. 
Yeah, I know. yeah, we, like, we kind of have the version of a minor league hockey team. The which, so I've been to several hockey games over my uh, over my life. So but you've I brought, know a little. You brought the Bruins in, in the Black, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Blackhawks yeah. or original six, or original oh, six Boston teams Bruins, Chicago. yeah, Chicago Blackhawks, yeah. St. Louis Blues and the yeah, yeah, yeah. they they won the the championship. Yeah, <laughs> I've lost my Canadian cred by the way that I just now said Bruins. No Canadian would no, no yeah, Canadian sure. would think that the Bruins were from Chicago. That's I've locked. I, I got to hand in. That's it, guys. I think I got to go cut out my Canadian passport, renounce patriotism <laughs> once and for all, and mail it to the Canadian embassy. Yeah, all of our all of our Canadian viewers I just, just lost away. Them all. Like, I can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay with us. Stay with us. There's a Texan who knows. Uh, I'll be talking. We know that. That's what happens yeah. when you're transplanted yeah. and you live in a different country. For, for I've lived in England now for longer yeah. than I lived in Canada. So, uh, but my accent will will always mark me out as a foreigner. So, anyway, anyway, friends, it's been very nice to talk to you. I look forward to meeting up again when we're going to pick up. This has been a little break from all the heavy stuff, uh, and then next episode we're going to start to to keep going into some of the tools that you can get to renew the Christian imagination. But I do hope that we've had some sense of some of the resources, the music, the comic books, the novels, the theology texts, the podcasts that you can listen to and you can enjoy. And you don't have to just keep eating the same diet over and over again of some of the nationalist stuff that we've been imbibing for so long. I think there's lots of other good stuff out there. So until then, I will see you next week. God bless. To further support the show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media and learn more about Tenth Theology at www.tenththeology.com. Thank you for joining us and God bless everyone.